Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be dedicated to free agency. It's going to involve who we signed, who we didn't sign, and who we may sign in the future. And we're also going to welcome in a special guest, Evan McPhillips, from the Twitter page, at Stats, and he's going to provide a whole bunch of really cool and interesting stats for us. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Man, I love the NFL. I love NFL football. I love the Cincinnati Bengals. I love free agency. You know, think about it. We're here in March. We were lucky. The Bengals played into mid-February, and March is all about free agency and who your team is going to pick up to get better, who's leaving for other teams, how your rivals are going to be doing. It's just really exciting. And then you go into April, you have the draft. Then you go into May with voluntaries. And then June, July, training camp then preseason and you know it starts all over again it's like this sport just you could follow it year-round because there's always something exciting going on especially when your team plays deep into February all right so let's start by talking about the most exciting thing who the Cincinnati Bengals have signed at this point in free agency all right the first person I'd like to talk about is Jesse Bates so they put him on the franchise tag he's getting 13 million a year We're bringing back a cornerstone of this defense, a captain, a guy who did incredible in the playoffs, just set the tone against Tennessee like right away, first play of the game, interception. It was like the game over. You just won the game for us. And then he did it against Kansas City. Just a really good run for him and a great player. I'm glad he's back in the fold. If you look at Bengals history, they don't put top dollar value on safeties. And we know we have a Joe Burrow extension coming up next year. I know they want to keep themselves really free so they can give him the $40, $50 million a year that he deserves. So I think that, unfortunately, Jesse Bates may be the odd man out. Unless he just has this superstar, incredible Ed Reed kind of year where it's just, where he's undeniable. You know, he wants like $18, $19 million a year, and that's tough to give a safety when you have other needs, and especially when your mentality is built around not overpaying safeties. So I hate to say it, I don't know if they're going to bring Bates back after this year. But you know what, I don't even want to think about that. I just want to have him for this year, let him do his thing, let's go into another Super Bowl run, and see how the cards fall from there. But I just want to give you guys an early heads up that I just don't think they're going to give him that $18 million a year for four-year deal. And it's unfortunate you can't keep everybody with the salary cap. You have to prioritize people and positions. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Jesse Bates. But in the meantime, Jesse, go get him this year, man. We need you, and you've been a great player for us. So let's go to the Super Bowl, and then we'll talk about it all after. All right, so one of the biggest free agent signings that we have for this year. And I'm just going to, before I say his name, I'm going to quote him. He says to Joe Burrow, your new bodyguard is in town. Nobody is touching you. Lyle Collins, welcome to Cincinnati. This is a really big pickup for us. This solidifies that right tackle position. This is a player who's been very accomplished in this league and is still on the rise. He's still got a lot of game left. Have him for three years, $30 million, a reasonable deal. I read a stat that in his last two years, he only let up four sacks total. Also, he's a mauler in the run game. He's excellent in pass protection. 
He hurt his hip and had surgery in 2020, but judging by the year that he had in 2021, he's fully recovered from that. So we have a really, really good offensive lineman here, and this is going to help this championship run for this team. Six foot four, 322 pounds, great footwork, great leverage. Welcome aboard, Lyle. All right, so the next big signing is Alex Kappa, a right guard from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bengals said this year, we are going to get marquee offensive linemen on the first and second day of free agency, and that's exactly what they did. They didn't let a lot of big guys slip and then go for second-tier guys. I don't know where you guys have Kappa ranked, but I consider him a first-tier guy. And NFL Network plays like the divisional NFC championship game between the Rams and the Buccaneers. And I'm like, you know what? Perfect opportunity. Let me let me watch Kappa in the most important game of the season. And man, he was good. He was powerful against that Rams line. You know, you put him in our lineup in the Super Bowl, things might have been a little bit different. And what I liked about him, he was strong. He held his ground. He blocked one guy and then looked for another guy to block. There was a lot of hustle there. And the play that stood out most to me is they had him pull to the left side. There was one play where I was like, where is he? Like, I'm looking for number 65 the whole time every play. And I'm like, I didn't see where he went. And I rewound it, took took it in slow motion. And I didn't see him because he didn't go forward. He went horizontal right out and kicked out Floyd on, on that left side. And he was out there in a heartbeat. I don't know how PFF has him ranked as far as his speed and stuff. You know, with me, it's the eye test. And when I saw him, he was powerful, he hustled, and he was quick. So that's going to be a very big combination. We have him for four years. So that's how you build that offensive line. You get a few guys that are going to be here for several years. You don't have to worry about that. No one-year deal. You know, we got him for $35 million. What's that, like about 8.6 a year not even the, the 10, 13, 7, not, not Brandon Scherf, 17 million a year. We're getting a guy who's in the same ballpark without the same injury history. All right, so that moves us on to the next offensive lineman, Ted Karras. His grandfather was an NFL player, a, a dominant, I think, defensive lineman. He was an actor later in his career. We don't care about that part. We just care about the guy that we got from Bill Belichick's system that has two Super Bowl rings. He was a center for Tom Brady. He has played significantly at left guard, right guard, and center. So you have a guy that can legitimately play all three positions and not just in a pinch. So what we get here is an intelligent player. And what I liked about what I saw from him is another guy. He doesn't get backed up. You know, with Kappa and Karras, love him or hate him. And if you if you guys wanted different players here, I'm, I'm cool with that. But when I see these two guys, these are two guys that don't get pushed at the point of attack. So it's not like Burrow's going to be dropping back and the pocket's just going to be getting pushed right back into his, his lap. These guys hold up. They're strong guys. They're veterans. They're proven excellent, excellent pickups. I, and they signed him for three years, $18 million. You have a Ben Jones out there who I liked from Tennessee, even though he's getting a little bit older. He garnered $7 million, and he's a little bit older, so you know we got a guy for less money than that. I mean, Ryan Jensen got $13 million. You know, you start putting all that money out there for those guys, and then you're worrying about signing your, your good in-house players after that. So here we go. You know, Kappa and Karras, $14.6 million, right? That's kind of what they would have spent on Jensen by himself. They would have spent more on Sheriff. They would have spent almost the same thing on Lakin Tomlinson. And Notaboom from the Rams would have been $13 million. And like I said, Ben Jones versus Ted Karras. I know I'm talking a lot of numbers here, but I'm not a fan of 
bargain basement, you know, get second tier players and try to fill it. I think we have two pretty good first tier players that didn't cost as much as some of those big names. And some of those big names have injury history as well. And I think we did the right thing with Karras and Kappa. Three years with Karras, four years with Kappa. There you go. You know, for the next few years, you're not going to really have to worry about that interior of the offensive line. We'll talk about left guard in a little bit. The next big signing from another team, and then I'll go into the guys that we signed that were our own, is Hayden Hurst. Tight end, first round pick of the Ravens, was drafted before Lamar Jackson that year. I know the whole league slept on Lamar, whatever, but Hurst is a, is a big time pick, and he's a very good athlete. He's fast. You know, when he was in Baltimore, there was Andrews in front of him. When he went to Atlanta, there was Pitts in front of him. So he was always kind of the number two tight end. But what I liked, what I saw from him is he's fast, he's long, he's got good hands. And if you hear everything he's talking about, he's so excited to be in Cincinnati. He wants to prove something to his past teams in the league. And you know what? Not bad having a player from Baltimore, formerly, who's got a chip on his shoulder against his old team. That can only help when we play them twice a year. You know, there he is at the goal line having the the game-winning play, game-winning touchdown against the Ravens. Can't you see it? He's excited to be here. He's going to be a great asset. And, you know, I'll talk about Uzama in a little bit. Uzama went for $8 million a year. We're getting Hurst for less than half of that. And, again, it's not about bargain basement. It's about being smart. We're getting a player who's about the same age, a little less mileage on him, and equal or better production. So this is a, a great pickup. I can't wait. I'm excited to see him in there. All right, so let's go through the guys of our own that we've re-signed up to this point. So first, B.J. Hill, excellent year for us. You know, five and a half sacks, the big interception in the playoffs, the game-changing interception, filled in for Joby so solidly, just a really good player. They got him for three years, $30 million, basically $10 million a year. We have a starting defensive tackle here, and you wanted to keep that group together, right? You had Reeder, Joby, Hill, and Tupo. And, you know, we did the best we could to keep that together. We have three of those four coming back because I think that was one of the top three defensive tackle rotations in the league. Maybe even the top, as I've said in the past. So B.J. Hill comes back. He's fired up to be wanted. You know, going from a low-round pick with the Giants to, like, trade bait, who cares about you, to, hey, we're going to offer you a pretty significant contract, and you just went to the Super Bowl with us, and we want you back. And that moves on to Josh Tupo, who signed a $2.1 million deal. And that's a steal for a player like that. Not a lot of mileage. Had a great year last year. As I said, keep as many of those four guys as you could because they really contributed to a top five run defense in the league. You know, maybe one more defensive tackle. I know they're talking to Jaron Reed. You know, we'll see what happens. Joby didn't pass his physical. So whatever. Either way, we have three of the big four back. We have Shelvin in there. You never know what's going to happen with him. Hopefully he develops, and it looks like defensive tackle is not going to be a deficiency for this club. It's going to remain a strength, and these two signings of Hill and Tupo definitely reinforce that. And then one of my top five Bengals of all time was re-signed. You've heard me sing his praises. He's a Rutgers guy, which is where I went. He's a Jersey guy from Long Beach Island, which is the most beautiful spot in New Jersey. And it's Clark Harris, long snapper, perfect career up to this point, and it will just continue. They signed him for one year, $1.27 million, which is totally worth it. You, you know what? Go ahead. Get yourself a $700,000 a year long snapper and watch him sail a couple over the punter's head. 
and then tell me if Clark Harris is worth it. I mean, I wish they locked him up longer than that. I'll be honest with you. They keep one year dealing this guy, and I don't know why. I, I, I know he's getting older, what, he's like 37, 38 now. So I guess it makes sense here. But earlier in his career, I would have loved to see, you know what, here, here you go. Here's a nice four-year deal. We believe in you. But either way, he's probably going to be around with the Bengals for four more years. I guess it's just going to be a bunch of one-year deals. But congratulations, Clark Harris. I am so excited that you're back. As I've said in the past, if every Bengals player did his job as effectively as Clark Harris, we would be 17-0 and and have three Super Bowl rings. All right, the next big signing is Eli Apple for $4 million a year, and I knew they were going to bring him back. That's a low price tag. You know, the Super Bowl might have brought down his value. The playoffs and the season that he had brought up his value. Struggled a little bit in the Super Bowl against, you know, the best receiver, I guess, if you want to call Cooper Cup that. So that made him more attainable and come to come in at a lower cost. He's really excited to be here. He's a phenomenal athlete, and he did play very well in stretches for us last year. They're going to pencil him in at that left cornerback spot, and that gives us freedom. You know, if we draft a corner high, maybe the corner has a little bit of a learning curve while Eli Apple fills the spot for this year. You can never have enough good corners, and I think that he is a good corner, and I like his attitude, too. You know how they always say, as a cornerback, you have to have a short memory, and he does. You know, he he takes accountability. I, I read an article. He's takes full accountability for giving up the touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And he's not running from that. He's not making excuses. He's not blaming other people. That's a good trait. He's going to man up. He, I think we're going to get a good season out of him this year. And as I said, the low price tag makes it very reasonable to bring him aboard. We'll see what happens as far as who, they, who else they bring aboard, what they're going to do with Trey Waynes. But Eli Apple is here. He wants to be here. He's likable. And if he can build off what he was doing last year, then we're going to be okay at that position. Then they brought back Brandon Allen for $1.5 million. It makes sense. Again, that's a money-saving tactic. You could go out there and get a veteran backup for, you know, five, seven, nine, ten million, whatever you want to pay. The Bengals liked him enough to bring him back, so I'm going to believe in them. You know, welcome back, my friend, and we'll see where we go from here. Hopefully you never see the field in 2022. And not because of any lack of ability on your end, because I want to just see Joe Burrow clean up this year, stay healthy, and take us to the promised land. And then you have some of the other free agents. I'll just rifle through them quickly. Fred Johnson, $2.4 million. I was a little surprised at that because he was inactive for most of the games last year. The one game that he did play, he played very well in. Maybe that was enough for them to say, hey, we're going to bring you back. And again, you never know what's going to happen, who they draft, how training camp's going to work out, who gets injured, you know, who gets waived and whatnot. But Fred Johnson is here right now for $2.4 million. Hopefully he keeps building. You know, Frank Pollock must like him if they're going to bring him back at that price tag. So welcome back, Fred. I'm looking forward. If you're in the lineup, which is another situation like Brandon Allen, I hope you're not in the lineup because I hope the starting five stay healthy all year. But if you are... Just do what you did last year in that one game, and you know we'll see what happens. You're a Bengal, and I am pulling for you. Joe Bocci, a $1 million one-year deal. Why not? You know, you're solidifying the back end of that linebacker core. I think he did well when he came in when Logan Wilson was hurt. You know, he, he, he didn't look lost in there. He was decent in coverage. I know he got hurt. Bengals liked him. They're bringing him back. He's a special teams guy. So Joe Bocci... Glad to have you back. We know we'll see what happens in training camp and who they bring in, but it looks like he's probably going to be the number six linebacker for us this year. 
And then they bring back both Michael Thomases, the, the veteran safety at $1.1 million and the veteran wide receiver at $1 million. Now at safety, with Ricardo Allen retiring, there's a little bit of a gap there because you figure it's going to be Bates and Bell. You figure Brandon Wilson's going to come back strong as that number three safety and kick returner. And then you're looking for a number four. Trayvon Henderson, he's been here for a while. He's going to be fighting with a guy like Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas was very reliable in special teams. So you know what? Bring him back. At least you have a veteran at number four unless someone can come in and beat him out. And if not, you know, I'm pretty satisfied with him in that role. And then the receiver, Mike Thomas, I really like him. I just think that he has a chemistry with Burrow. We didn't see a ton of catches out of him last year, more so in his first year as a Bengal. First, what you get with him is an expert gunner. So if they don't re-sign Stanley Morgan or they have any issues at gunner, you've got a guy who can go in and do that. And then you have another guy who runs routes and makes catches and can make a big play here and there. You know, can, can line up as the fourth wide receiver in a four-wide set, and you could trust him to catch the ball and be productive. So I'm glad they're bringing him back. I wasn't sure they were going to, but now you start to see this wide receiver room materialize. Obviously, you have the big three. And then you have Mike Thomas, Trent Taylor, who they re-signed earlier for $1.1 million. You know, he's your possible punt returner or a backup slot guy. You know, we'll see what they do with Trent and Irwin. And then maybe they bring in another guy or so. But the wide receiver room, linebacker room, looking like they're pretty solidified right now unless some really superstar falls to them in the draft. And then lastly, you have Jalen Davis, who they re-signed a while back. He's a backup slot corner. Fought his way onto the roster last year. A nice $1 million deal for him. I'll take it. You know, a low-priced player, a young player, a guy who's hungry, a guy who kind of proved himself and really had to work to make the roster. And there he is. If something happens to Hilton, you have a guy that can probably go in there and not kill you. All right, let's talk about some Bengals that were here for the 2021 Super Bowl run that will not be here moving forward. So first off, you have Trey Hopkins, They waived him. They're saving $6 million. I kind of called it a while back that when they signed Karras and Kappa with the draft coming, it felt like, you know what, you could save a lot of money if you cut Trey. And, you know, he was coming back from the ACL like seven months removed, which is not easy to come back that early at that position where it's like leverage and power and battling 320-pound monsters all day. So he didn't totally get a fair shake, and you know, hopefully when he heals up, he could be productive for another team, but it makes sense. You know, They have a guy who they replaced him with who is a better player for the same amount of money, and now Trey is going to go to another team, and you know, good luck in the future, and thank you for your service. CJ Uzama went to the Jets three years, $24 million, so that's $8 million a year. That's a high price for him, and I'm glad that he was able to get that. He had a great year for the Bengals, a very high-profile year with making some big plays, making some game-winning catches, and his personality, you know, he really put himself out there and, and sold himself, and it's a credit to him, and I give him credit. He's a big guy who moves fast, has great hands, made clutch catches, runs pretty good routes, so I'm all for it. Good luck. I wish you went to the NFC. I kind of knew they weren't going to resign him because it was just too much money. They could get someone cheaper with basically the same amount of productivity. You know they're going to be chasing one in the draft. So I think we kind of won out with Hurst at $3.5 million versus Uzama at $8 million. But thank you for your service. And he sent a thank you note to the Bengals when he left. And not a lot of players do that. 
and it was very respectful. You could tell how much he cared about this organization and his teammates. Just a total class act. Darius Phillips signed with the Raiders for $2 million a year. You know after that 49ers game, they were done with him. So this was just a matter of time when this was going to happen. You knew they weren't going to bring him back. So he's going to move on to the Raiders in probably like a number four corner role. Let his career continue. Again, thank you for your service. I thought he had a good year for us a couple years back, filling in when Waynes went down in that first year that we had Trey Waynes. But he's not part of the long-term picture, and I like the guys that we have in place more than I do like Darius Phillips. So good luck, my friend. And again, I wish all these ex-Bengals, I wish they just went to the NFC so I don't have to root against them. And then we move on to Larry Ogunjobi. I, I really wanted them to re-sign him. I thought he was going to be one of the keys to this defensive line. You know he's coming off the broken foot that he suffered in the playoffs, so that you know there's going to be a, a healing process for him to get back to where he was. I hope it's not a Liz Frank, because those things can be career-threatening. But the Bears sign him for basically $13 million a year, and I'm like, ah, they got our guy. And then he fails the physical. Of course he's going to fail the physical. He's coming off a broken foot, like, what, two months ago. So the Bears opted to not sign him. He's going to still be out there. It's a shame on his part, right? You're going to get $13 million. Now you're going to probably be somewhere in the $4 million range, unfortunately, because of the failed physical. But I'll tell you guys, if July, August rolls around and he's unsigned, maybe the season starts and he's still on the couch somewhere, this is a guy you want to think about bringing back because he's got a lot of game left in him. And then a quick run-through of our free agents that I want us to bring back. You know, there's still a list out there. But there's six guys that I would love for us to bring back. None of them will break the bank. Kevin Huber, you know, he's your punter, he's your holder, he's your veteran presence for over a decade. I think he warrants another one $1.5 million contract. Bring him back. Let him go to the Super Bowl again with us this year. Trey Flowers, I like the role they car for him as that tight end coverage guy where he was, you know, I'd give him like a B-plus for what he did last year. And with all these deadly tight ends out there, like your Kelsey's and your Andrews, you know, take your pick. There's so many Kasicki. You want to have a guy like this. I think they they forged a really good role for him last year. It's all going to be a matter of how much they can bring him back at. I was thinking it would probably be somewhere in like the $3 million range. So he's still a possibility to bring back. And if they can bring him back for $3 million or under and put him in that cover tight end role like he did last year, I think that's a great acquisition. No one else is jumping to sign him. So... My wish there might come true, actually. Stanley Morgan, you have to bring him back. That's got to be your your number six wide receiver, strictly for the special teams. And the blocking, he blocked so well last year when he was on in on offense. He's your best gunner. He's He hustles. He's a team guy. I figure you could probably get him for $2 million or less a year, and I think that's worth it. I think he's a restricted, so his cap number is going to be limited but definitely a guy you want to bring back more sooner than later because I know there's other teams that are going to want to jump on him. You know, you think about Matthew Slater from the Patriots setting the bar for that, and Stanley Morgan is in that same mold. So, as I said, I think he's going to be a Bengal for the next five years and just constantly contributing on special teams. Please try to get that done, Mr. Tobin. I don't want to see this guy leave the building. And then three other guys that aren't going to cost a lot of money. I think you bring back Wyatt Ray. I think he was good in that defensive end rotation, and you can get him for probably a million or less. Trenton Irwin, I still believe. I believe that he could be a number five receiver here. If someone goes down, let him fill in. He runs great routes. He's tough. 
He's got great hands. He was inactive most of the time this year. But if you could bring back a guy like that for just about a million a year, please do it. He's young enough. It's worth it. I think it's going to pay off. And and you watch. We, we can see Trenton Irwin going to another team and being like their number three, number four, and putting up decent numbers. So I'd rather have him here with us as another option for Joe Burrow. All right, so let's move on to some available free agents and who we may potentially sign. Teron Armstead, I think his price tag is going to be too high. You know, almost like the Jesse Bates, $18 million, the Brandon Scherf, $17 million. I don't know if they're going to want to dump all that money into an Armstead because they do still believe in Jonah. If Armstead didn't have the injury history, I would be aggressive on taking him, and I don't care what the price tag is. But the last thing that you want is to get him aboard, pay him $18, $19, 20000000 a year, and have him go down halfway through the year, and there's all that cap money wasted, and you're scrambling again at that position. And you see teams doing that. You see teams that are like in the negative in cap money, signing guys for big money. And just some, just a side note that I wanted to go off on, I think it's kind of manipulating the cap and like defeating the spirit of the cap. When you have teams that are just signing guys that they can't afford, and then they're going to all their players and saying, hey, can we convert your salary to a signing bonus? And I know it works for the players because they get guaranteed money and the money's up front. It works for the teams because they reduce their salary cap and are able to get other players. But something about it just seems like you're bending the rules. You know, the cap's in place to try to keep a competitive balance. And you have these teams just kind of like weaseling their way with these restructures and pay cuts to guys. I, I don't know. Just something doesn't sit right with me. The NFL obviously lets it get done because, as I said, the players get the money up front. The teams, everyone wins. But it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels a little underhand and it feels a little sneaky and you don't see the Bengals doing that how many players have we asked to take pay cuts over the years they might have done it to Gino late in his career you know I'm sorry Gino for that but we you don't see the Bengals restructuring deals to fit guys oh you know all these other teams that don't manage their cap properly play like that the league lets it happen I'm not a fan of it you know what am I going to do about it let just let the Bengals get the best team they can have do it the right way and who cares All right, one player the Bengals are targeting that's very intriguing. I'm not sure if they're going to sign him or not. By the time this episode comes out, he may be signed already, the way things are moving so fast in the NFL. But it's Stephon Gilmore. You lock him up. Now you have a left corner. You have a Wouzier on the right-hand side. That's a pretty good tandem. Now, Gilmore was injured a little bit last year. Didn't have his greatest season in a one-year deal with the Panthers. But if you go back, he was a defensive player of the year. He had a great career with the Patriots, played with the Bills. Still got some game left in him. I think they can get him at a reasonable salary. So if you bring someone like this aboard, you're really saying something to the league. Like, look, we're, we're going Super Bowl or bust again. We saw last year what we needed to do to improve this team, and that was the offensive line. Maybe get a little more solid at corner. And this could be a big step in that direction. So we'll see what happens with Gilmore. You know, this could be really, really big for this team. And I'm, I'm liking the fact that we're going after top-tier free agents And we're not afraid of the salary cap. We know we're going to be able to manage it properly. And this opens us up to sign a player like Lyle Collins and like Stephon Gilmore. Bobby Wagner, I don't know why. I just put him on my want list because he's such a hungry player that still has something left in the tank. But I don't think they're going to bring him aboard because we have the young linebackers. You don't want to stunt Logan Wilson's development. 
you know, you don't want to take time away from Wilson and Pratt. You have your backups in place. You know, it's kind of like that fun selection where, well, you, you know, you bring Bobby Wagner aboard, you have another enforcer in, in that front seven. Just be brainstorming. He's probably going to be too expensive. I would rather th- them spend that money on the offensive line or bringing in, like, another tight end or so. But you never know. I just wanted to throw it out there that he could be a difference maker. Just like in anything, like in the draft, like in free agency, you definitely have to address your needs, but sometimes you have to go for the best player available, most of the time. Like, you're going to win more than you lose if you go for the best player available. And Bobby Wagner, despite his age, is probably one of the best defensive players available at this point. And then we talked about the defensive tackle position. You know, Jaron Reed is a possibility to bring aboard. That would be great. And, you know, Ogunjobi, as we talked about, maybe that happens as the season draws closer. So aside from that, that's about it. You know, Gronk was on this list. That would have been exciting. But he would have probably come at like $9, 10000000 million a year. And, you know, he has injury problems himself. He's He had the, the broken ribs and the back. And, you know, he's just getting up there. So let him ride into the sunset with Brady. I'm fine with that. It was fun to think about that for a couple weeks. But, you know, we're working on solidifying that position, and Gronk's not a part of the plan, and that's just fine with me. And then going back to the offensive line again real quick, you need six good offensive linemen. You know, you have your starting five, but you know one of those guys is going to go down for a significant period of time. It's No team gets through it with all five starting linemen playing 16, 17 games. It's too physical of a sport. The defensive linemen and, and the edge rushers are just too crazy and too strong. It wears on the body. So you want to have a solid starting five, but you also want to have a number six. So we don't know if Jackson Carmen is going to be that number six. We don't know if any of the other rookies from last year or whatever. But you look at the draft, and I'm not going to go into the draft yet. There's there's a whole other month to talk about that. But just on the surface here, if you only grab one of those big-time free agents, you're going to need another player. Whether, whether Jackson Carmen wins the left guard job or whatever, you're going to need another really reliable, highly regarded prospect. And if you look at the first two rounds of the draft, guys that are predicted to go in that like top 50, top 60, there's about 10 offensive linemen. You got a center. We we may not have a crack at him, but you have like four guards, five tackles. So you figure there's like nine, ten guys. If we can go into the draft and pull like two of them, I think that is going to be a very successful draft for us. So two quick notes on things that came in after I recorded. I was in the process of editing and some new news came out, so I figured I would include it in this episode, even though it might be a little out of sequence. Trey Wayne's officially cut, so that saves almost $11 million in cap space, and they're going to need it to get all these new free agents aboard. you got to dedicate money for Collins, maybe Gilmore, whoever else they're going to bring in. We obviously knew Wayne's was going to be a casualty of the cap. We'll see if they try to bring him back at a lower price, but I think they feel kind of burned by him. He only played in five games over two seasons, you know, five starts, we'll say, and then he played in the postseason, as I said earlier, as a special teamer. And the other piece of news is they did sign Trenton Irwin. I was hoping they would. They did. I think he's going to get maybe a little bit shy of a million. There's a guy that you can plug in if you need. If someone goes down, maybe they'll find a way to use him a little more in the passing game this year. Love this player and very happy that we signed him. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Evan McPhillips. 
All right, we're going to bring back a very special guest to the podcast. He has a page on Twitter that is an absolute must-follow. It's called at Bengal Stats, and I'd like to welcome the master of Bengal Stats, Evan McPhillips. Evan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, my friend. So, real quick, before we dive into some interesting stats from this season and postseason, what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl? You know, generally, we uh, I think we all have the the same kind of sentiment about the Super Bowl, right? Obviously, it stings a little, but everyone's happy with what they achieved for a team that was projected to win. I think it was six and a half games preseason. Uh, it was definitely a good sign of things to come. Exciting, but also can sometimes frustrating part of it is how close they were on a couple instances. We talk about high leverage plays like the Tyler Boyd drop, and there's things like that that you can't control, where you make the right play, Cole, you put your players in a good position, and things don't work out. But obviously there's a little bit of nuance, and we don't want to be hypercritical of things. But when we do look back at things and say, where are opportunities to maybe give ourselves a better chance for success in the future? Um, I know a lot of people come back to the third and fourth down plays at the end of the game where they decided to run the ball. I know uh, our good friend Zim has pointed out that there was a lot of cushion for T. Higgins there on that third down play where if you throw the ball quickly and recognize the cushion you have, then you can just take the short yard. It's as good as a run play, right? There's also the idea of, hey, we want to catch them off guard. They're on their heels. Maybe we want to run the ball just to get it real quick and have them think and pass pass, just get the yard. We have the timeouts, right? We talked a little bit briefly beforehand about how sometimes the run game can give us a false sense of security, like kicking field goals, right? Just take the points. Oh, just run the ball, take the easy yard real quick. It's this one yard. You should be able to pick that up. And against guys like Aaron Donald with a patchwork offensive line, sometimes we can take that for granted, right? And it can feel safe to say, hey, let's just get that one yard. Let's not throw it. Let's not risk taking the sack or risk the interception. But the same way we risk things when we throw the ball, we risk it when we run the ball. And when we were talking about that, obviously there's fumbles, but – When you're in a run play, if one person blows their block, the whole run play can be blown, right? And you don't have an outlet. You don't have an emergency like a hot route, like a quarterback does in the event of a blitz or pressure to where you can get rid of that ball. So if that play is blown, that play is blown. So it's tough to put all your eggs in that run basket, right? And again, we don't want to be hypercritical, but if we're talking about giving yourself more opportunities for success, you put your eggs all in that one-player basket, right? where you say, hey, we're going to give it to this one option, and if someone blows a block, shoot, we'll live to fight another play, or that's it, shucks, we should have just been better. If you give yourself that opportunity of if we drop back, even if it's a quick drop, even if we know we're possibly getting pressure, you're scared about the offensive line pass blocking. Why aren't you scared about the run blocking? Is it that much better as a run blocking unit? I feel like if you want to take that chance, you take that chance, put it in your star quarterback's hands, and then you look at it and say, hey, if we send, even in max protect, if we give ourselves two guys or three guys in the pattern, if we have just a little option route between Boyd and the, or the tight end between Azama and Burrow, guys who have excellent chemistry, give them the opportunity to get out in the pattern and say, hey, we're going to have two or three guys with opportunities to get open. So if it does go bad, even if you have that disaster or someone doesn't pick up their block, instead of being dead like a run play, you say Joe Burrow quickly goes, okay, I've got to make a play. I think I know what I see, and I have this decision. I have these options. You want him to have multiple options to decide, okay, I want this guy or this guy, as opposed to just saying, shucks, the play is blown. So it's just one of those leverage situations that sticks out to me in my head where even sometimes on the goal line, it's easy to say, let's just put our head down, 
let's be smash mouth, let's be tough, and let's get that one yard. But why is it so bad to get that one yard, or why is it soft to throw the ball when you've got cushions on guys like Higgins in that option? So to see that kind of thing, it's just, you know, in hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, it's a big moment. It's hard to discern those things in the 30 seconds you're trying to get the right play call out, the right personnel out. But looking back on it, maybe it's something that we can learn and look back on and say, maybe in these high leverage situations, you give your guy who's like a Tom Brady the chance to be that cerebral field general and make his play as opposed to taking it out of his hands and just saying, we hope it works with one guy as opposed to giving a couple guys the opportunity. Phenomenal take there. And you are approaching it from a statistical point of view, too, you know, saying what's better, one option or three or four options. So excellent take on that. I'm glad you could shed some light on, on that key situation in a tough Super Bowl loss. So, Evan, let's let's move on to some stats. So the season's over, magical season. We went to the Super Bowl when we didn't expect to. There's a whole bunch of great stats from the regular season, postseason, Super Bowl, you know, and whatnot. So I wanted to ask you, let's go over five interesting stats that a lot of people that aren't real stati- statisticians might not know. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's let's start with something, something fun and exceptional, right? Obviously, Shooter McPherson out there was a scorching 14 of 14. Our number is 100% in the playoffs, which is obviously huge. A lot of those coming in high-leverage situations like the Chiefs and the Titans games, obviously giving them the lift they needed to get where they needed to go. It's it's extremely impressive for the guy to come in as a rookie and do this and set the record as well for most field goals made from 50 or more yards in a single season, including the playoffs. So it's not like he was just taking these chip shots that the offense was sputtering at the 10 and 15-yard line and giving him opportunities. It was hey, we're going to give this guy who's a rookie the opportunity to go out there and be a weapon. Now, the takeaway from this is not we want to go draft kickers in the third and fourth round all the time and get this awesome weapon, this value. This is, you know, you're, you get to have your cake and eat it too, right? You get a competent kicker. You get away from the Randy Bullocks, the, the calf strains of the world that seem to sneak up on other people. And you get this guy who, one, you feel like you can rely on, and two, who can really be a weapon for you in those times where maybe you're at halftime you don't have time to get down in the red zone or take a legitimate shot at the end zone. And you say, hey, you know what? We can kick it from 55 or 58 with this guy because he is like a Megatron. And again, we don't want to go chasing these guys because that's how we end up with wasting picks on guys like Robert Aguayo, right? Who are supposed to be the the next great weapon. But again, it's exceptional that they had that and it lifted them in many games this season. You hope to continue to see that. Uh, we hope to rely on it a little bit less. We talked a little bit about the red zone issues with the Bengals last season. And while you want to see the efficiency for McPherson still up there, and you still want to see him giving them the opportunity to score from distance when maybe they do take a sack and get into precarious positions, we'd like to see maybe a few less attempts to where the offense is out there rolling and rocking and getting us some nice looks in the red zone. But until that point, it's worth celebrating an exceptional rookie, an exceptional pick, and a weapon that the Bengals are going to have for at least the next couple of years that's going to help them, and someone that even the fans can rally behind, someone who's definitely got a fun personality. 100%, and I think we have our Justin Tucker here, which is which is really nice because it's been deadly facing the Ravens over the years because they barely need to crack the 45, and that guy's got a legitimate shot at making something. So um, And also, you're right, he does have the demeanor. Just the fact that he works on slowing his heart rate, and there he is at halftime with 
a boyish smile watching the halftime show. There's just something really likable about him. And to go into the one last thing that you mentioned, which I thought was brilliant before we actually got on the air, three plus three equals six, but that's not as good as seven. So I, I get your point. We want to see McPherson keep doing his thing, but touchdowns are going to win games more than field goals down the road. So with that said, what's the next stat that you have for us, Evan? The next one is a little bittersweet, right? So we're going to look back at the season and say what went wrong on the offensive line as sort of an autopsy on how to look at it and how to fix it, right? And obviously, we don't want to rag on Hakeem Adenogy, all right? I think uh, too often we can – sometimes these guys get placed in unfair expectations. And while I'm confident in the Bengals coaching staff's ability to evaluate their players and also – uh, see what kind of talent and traits they have to envision what that player can be. It's also unfair to ask guys who are fifth and sixth round picks to come out and start a tackle and a guard in their first year or two. It's just, I, you know, it's just unfair generally. There's a reason that those guys were toward the end of the of the draft. There's a reason they were still around after the fourth round when we see guys constantly get pushed up into the first and second who generally have no reason being there because these guys are coveted. We see it in free agency how – Everybody got swept up. It was seemingly capable offensive lineman right away. The deals just came pouring in and a lot of money because every time some offensive lineman becomes available, there's 18 fan bases all quote tweeting and going, oh man, my team should go after this guy because everyone needs him, right? I don't want to bag on Akeem Adenogy, but the, the number from last season is 43, and that was the overall grade for him from PFF. To the uninitiated, 60 is about average. So he was well below average throughout the season. And again, it's it's not fair to shuffle a six-round pick around multiple positions, in and out of the lineup. I don't want to be unfair to identity. But a significant upgrade is coming with the additions of Alex Kappa and Ted Karras. Both of these guys had over a 70 PFF grade last season. And going back to the average of 60, we're talking about going from well below average to well above average. Sometimes it seemed like the Bengals were just not there, unable to pick up and communicate on different stunts and twists. And I, I think that getting these veterans, these guys who are 27, 28, 29, guys like Ted Karras who have that versatility of playing both center and guard, I think that added bonus of not relying on these rookies of these guys who are developed established and have that experience is going to be miles away better than what they were dealing with last season it's going to be better in terms of production and experience and versatility offered by these guys just not to be unfair again to identity or prince or any of these guys who were out there last season just trying to make it all work it's just really a way to try and point out how excited Bengals fans should be with the first two signings and how much I know Bengals fans want tier one guys. They want large money, but getting three average offensive linemen is going to do way more than getting one premium tackle would ever do for this line. It's really, really important that they've done this. And I can't stress how impressed I am with how the Bengals have attacked the interior of their line in day one of free agency. Great take there. And actually, you, you make me think of a couple things that are numeric in relation to this. And, you know, when you think of, like, running backs and wide receivers, it's almost like, for the most part, the younger, the better, fresh legs and, and whatnot, especially running back. But when you think of offensive line, sometimes the younger guys, you know, they don't, they don't have the mental capacity and the experience 
as some of the older guys. So, you know, it is good to get some guys that have been around the league in, in their mid to late 20s at those positions. So that totally makes sense. And then to Absolutely. Go... Oh, sorry. I just wanted to add uh, with guys like Adenogy. I mean, the guy went through, I think it was three different offensive line coaches in his time in Kansas. So, and again, these are guys who may be coming from programs where they didn't get the best offensive line coaching. Or you're talking about guys who, if you're drafting a rookie, these guys are 21 and 22 years old. Obviously, they're not going to be as physically developed as guys who have been in the league for six or seven years, who are 28 year old men who have been working on their bodies like in an NFL weight program. Program for seven years who have been refining their technique and have all these advantages over these young offensive linemen as you pointed out it's better for young uh young guys generally a running back and wide receiver in these skill positions where having the explosive the athleticism there's a lot of translation between the college and the nfl game where that's significantly harder you're facing a whole different level not only of technician of athlete of size when you get to the nfl it's a big jump and it's a lot to ask for any guy who's 21 22 or 23 years old 100 percent. and you know i'm all for any age you know i'm not discriminating against anybody's age but it is true you know the old saying, like, grown man strength, sometimes that does apply in the trenches. But, right. you know, that's 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 a whole other concept. But the other number I wanted to bring up is if we look at the way that you mentioned that late-round picks are late-round for a reason, either developmental or talent or whatnot, or they're too raw, or et cetera. If you look at what we started at, at offensive line in, well, let's just say the Super Bowl. We had a first-rounder at left tackle. We had an undrafted at left guard, an undrafted at center, a sixth rounder at right guard, and a sixth rounder at right tackle. So in this case, that kind of proves your theory about the numbers and draft position. So I'm not going to keep harping on the line. We know what's up. It's being improved. The new guys are going to help. What's stat number three, Evan? All right. Now here comes some more fun parts, all right? So we're going to look back at some of the standouts from last season and kind of look at how that frames for this season. So the first number that we're going to be talking about over this next set, and you'll see a recurring theme there, is one. And that is where Trey Hendrickson's 2021 season ranks in terms of his pass rushing productivity among all Bengals defensive linemen since 2005. So even the career best years of Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, Carl Lawson, whether in their reserve role or in their full-time role, on a per-snap basis, nobody was more productive in what they generated as a pass rusher than Trey Hendrickson. So I do this to say, wow, I was colossally wrong about my my take on the Hendrickson signing when it happened. Uh, joke's on me. Very happy about that. But really, just kudos to Trey Hendrickson for what he did. This also goes to say that last season he was the primary source of pass rush. One, that has to change. Two, though the actual raw production numbers in terms of sacks and pressures may go down, I think you could see perhaps a better efficiency from him, a better, a higher pass rush percentage, but maybe less raw stats. And that could be because with the Bengals adding guys like Osai, ideally keeping B.J. Hill in a more involved role, adding another three-tech pass rusher, ideally, as the Bengals, you'll be getting more pressures from other sources. So even though we may see his raw stats, don't be down on Trey Hendrickson. There's also a reason we call them career years because generally what follows is not as good as the career best year. It's really not a test or saying anything bad about him or saying that, oh, he's going to be bad next year. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it was so exceptionally spectacular 
that it deserves to be noted. And also, he doesn't deserve to be ragged on if the raw numbers just don't quite end up where they did this year. Great point. And I was I was a little surprised with his productivity. I knew that he was going to be decent for us. I guess I fell into the trap that a lot of people did, thinking that Cam Jordan was responsible for a lot of his pressures. And, you know, there was a breakdown of all of his sacks from last year. And some of them were like secondary and hustle sacks. It wasn't just blowing his guy off the line. But all that goes out the window. He had a great year. And I understand what you're saying about a career year. It's not necessarily the fact that he's going to repeat those numbers, but he could still be equally as productive if he's opening up other players to have big numbers as well. Exactly. And he may end up, especially after having this kind of year, he may end up getting that special attention. I mean, I know it's not always easiest for them to line up help on him, but I mean, hey, let him peace. That's all right. And, you know, if you want to keep avoiding him and keep shifting everything to the other side, well, shoot, hopefully, you know, you got Sam Hubbard and uh, Joseph Osai floating around out there as well, generating their own pressure, and maybe B.J. Hill gets something. But, you know, it's definitely, hopefully it will help them keep him fresh a little bit, not rely on him so much, so that he can be just as, if not more productive from an efficiency standpoint, so that they can get more rest, because we know that that was a part that they started to break down at last season, and that kind of hurt them a little bit, because D-line is definitely somewhere where it's hard to be running that hurry-up offense and also getting upfield all the time, and then keep going at 300 pounds or 280 pounds and fighting in the trenches. I mean, those guys need breathers, and we saw it with guys like Davis from Georgia, where Alabama attacked him that way, where they couldn't get him off the field and tired him out. So it's definitely important to have that depth, and hopefully they can give him those kind of breaks where they don't have to rely on him as much. But I do still expect that, like you said, I thought in a rotational role he was good. I was curious how he would do in an expanded role, and he blew everyone out of the water. Uh, I, I hope to see him get a little bit of a reprieve next year and have a little bit less weight on his shoulders in terms of producing, but I fully expect that he will come out and still be a force to be reckoned with. 100%. And when you're in those trenches, it is like a boxing match. You know, it's it's tough to go three minutes in a ring with anybody, and those guys are doing it play after play. So what you said definitely makes sense. What's the next stat that you have for us? Coming back to our favorite number, one. We're seeing a recurring theme here because Joe Burrow finished the PFS the season as PFS highest graded quarterback. Number one, the carry on top is Jamar Chase also finished the season as PFS highest graded rookie and as a sixth ranked wide receiver. So even with his stretch that the defense was paying attention, maybe he got a little bit covered, a little bit more than he was expecting, was getting a little more attention and T Higgins started to eat and have his time. Even with all that in consideration, he still was almost a top five wide receiver, borderline top five as a rookie, was the most impactful rookie, easily far and away. And those two combined to lead the, lead the NFL in deep touchdowns, which is exceptional considering the year before, they were completely anemic deep passing offense and couldn't even get one. So it, it really... It can't be overemphasized the life that gave the offense that especially struggled to sustain those long drives or when they did convert in the red zone. Those big plays that Joe Burrow and the Jamar Chase could offer were absolutely monumental and just cannot be overstated the importance of where getting them where they needed to go. You think about the Ravens game, the Chiefs game, the Titans game in the playoffs. I mean, 
every single time they needed a play, they needed a breath of life. He was always there to make a play, even when he had to create it himself. So it was encouraging to see them come together, to hit the ground running like that. And on top of that, you've got Joe Burrow with his first full healthy offseason and Jamar Chase with his first offseason. Really have a hard time seeing them get worse, <laughs> either of them. That's the exciting part. So giving him protection and giving them more opportunity to connect, uh, that's something everyone should be excited about. So true, Evan, and what a combination we have there. And I've been on record as saying if we didn't draft Jamar Chase, we would not have gone to the Super Bowl. little added bonus there. People, again, talking about, oh, we don't like the, the Tier 2 or Tier 3 signings. They got Riley Reef in that kind of tier last year, and he gave a pass, better pass-blocking efficiency than Penny Sewell did. And that goes back again to what saying, not that Penny Sewell had a bad season because he started to get better toward the back half, but that's the thing with rookies. That's the chance you're taking with the young guys that they're going to have to develop as the season goes on, or maybe you have to wait a season or two. And with a team that's, that's opened its Super Bowl window wide open, it's tough to get on board with trying to bank on we hope this guy pans out and that he pans out in the first season or two it's it's hard to just do what the Chiefs do to quote a lot of fans on Twitter um there's not a lot of fourth and sixth round picks that end up hitting week one (laughs) in the NFL it's just not something that happens like we talked about before the hit rate is low there's a reason those guys are there between positional value and everything else and so just it's it's not often that you hit on mid-round rookies of the offensive line like that that quickly I totally agree with that, and you definitely brought it to my attention that Reef had a better year than Sewell in, in limited duty, so another eye-opening stat from you. Um, what's the final stat that you have for us today? All right, so here comes the, the topical, a little a little pride, a little grimace here, but our guy, Jesse Bates, 90.0, that's the number, and that is the highest grade of any Bengal in the playoffs. Though the year... It's funny, we were talking about career years before. Trey Hendrickson, Jesse Bates had his career year the season prior. He had, I think it was like a 91.8 grade. It was exceptional on a week grade. But we know the thing with secondaries is there's fluctuation to production, right? As much as you can be in the right place at the right time, some of those opportunities don't always come. The tipped balls on slants for receivers that turn into interceptions that fall into your lap or the quarterback throwing that late out route in the red zone that turns into a pick six or near his own end zone that turns into a pick six to make those plays. You do have to be given that opportunity. So this is a season where we saw Jesse Bates made some exceptional plays, obviously showed his range and had some good pass breakups, but the man just had his was so many opportunities the year prior to get his hands on every single ball that was thrown his way. So through all the faults of the zone, even though, we still know he's not the best run defender. That's not why you're paying him to be your center of the field safety. It's what he could do in the passing game. It showed tremendously in the playoffs. It was a big reason why the Bengals' defense was out there doing it. Obviously, it started off a great in the Titans game. Even the last couple games of the regular season, you could see he was right there almost on so many interception opportunities. He was seeing the game really well. While the whole season as a whole, he was not as good as he was prior uh, in the season four for his career year, he did have an exceptional playoffs. He showed up when it counted. When the plays were there to be made, he did make them. It's tough because he's obviously asking for top-of-the-market money now. And the top-of-the-market money is up there at $18 million. And while he could argue he's the best safety in the league when everything is going his way like he was a couple years ago, 
he hasn't earned those Pro Bowl honors, which we can debate the verity of those to begin with, but he is probably in that Marcus Williams range as a guy who just signed with Baltimore for about 14 a year. I, I definitely see Bates in more of that 15 to 16 range, and I hope they can get a deal done with him in that range. When he starts getting up to 18, that's, that's where it starts getting tough. As much as I love the guy, he's one of my favorite players. The first article I ever wrote was about him. He's got a special place in my heart. I love his game. I love him. But at the same time, I have to understand it from an analysis standpoint. And when he starts getting up to that 18, 19 million, that's just tough to tough to really get him. So I hope that he can understand that 18 is a little excessive. I hope the Bengals can understand, hey, we should give him a little bit of 14 more because we talk about draft and develop, retain our own, rewarding our guys. So I, I think hopefully both parties can kind of meet in the middle of where they're at right now and get a deal done because Bates has obviously been a huge value to this defense and has been a tremendous captain for them as well. Great stuff, Evan. I always learn a lot when I talk to you. It's such a pleasure having you on. How do people find you on social media? Uh, anybody can go ahead and give me a follow at uh, Bengals Stats, where especially as we get closer to draft and our free agency signings start rolling in, we'll be putting up some more stats about uh, some of the new incoming Bengals players that are coming your way that you may or may not be familiar with. And also you can follow me at Phil on Twitter, and that's my personal account where I tweet out some uh, other stats and musings about the Bengals and some other teams and Stuff that I find generally funny, like Zeke's $18 million cap hit this season. So, you know, just other other fun jokes like that. So, you know, if you're, uh, if you're looking for that, go ahead and give me a follow. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca. And I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.